Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Roper Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. I'm Rich Spate and this is our end of season review, reflection, rant, pod. I've got with me down the line from Australia, I've got Martin Wallace. You alright, Mark? I'm alright, yes. After all of that excitement of the the weekend, quite looking forward to a, a nice peaceful few weeks of not having to get up early in the morning and watch us get beat or struggle to a, <laughs> a win. So yeah, interesting times ahead, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've also got Chris Wynn with us from Sheffield. You recovered yet, Chris? Uh, I don't know. I think we'll soon find out. Good to get a chance to, to, to vent, though. Yeah, well, yeah, vent away. Vent away. So <laughs> let's look at Saturday <laughs> briefly, um, or not so briefly. So we lost 2-1. Uh, sorry, we didn't. <laughs> didn't lose 3-1. It felt like we lost. Let's go again with that. So we lost. No, we didn't. Fucking hell, wake up. <laughs> you did that because I was just about to have some coffee. <laughs> well, we did lose, didn't we? Well, we did. We did lose. Two legs. All right. Fucking hell, wake up. This is, this is why I don't do podcasts in the morning. This is why I don't start getting any productive work done until after midday. <laughs> so we, uh, we won the second leg 2-1, uh, but lost the tie. 3-2. Overall, it was a bloody exciting first half and a really good performance for 45 minutes. Threw it away in the second half by losing a goal and not converting our chances. Did you think it was a fair result, Martin, over the course of the two the two legs? I think it was typical of pretty much every game that we've played this year where there's some key moments and it could have gone either way and it could have been us coming out the two legs with a win, or Lincoln coming out the two legs with a win. And so bloody close, isn't it? You know, you look at that stupid goal we conceded, the second goal down down at their place. Mm-hmm. We look at Ross Stewart not getting a penalty. We look at Charlie Wags miss. It's such fine margins. Um, but like after that first half, I think that's the best we've played probably since Sam Allardyce was our manager. <laughs> like you're going back that far for a, a 45 minutes that was that good. I'm not going to credit David Moyes with anything, and obviously it's been pretty disastrous since. So, like, there's at half time, I was, I'm sure everybody was, we, we were all bloody happy with, with what we'd seen, weren't we? It was excellent. 
Yeah, and just, I mean, you said at the start there, Martin, I mean, I, I know what you mean when you said it, it was kind of typical of us this season when it came down to the, the moments, but on the other hand, I don't think it was all that typical in that first half because very rarely this season have we been so on top and looked on it like we were in that first 45 minutes. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, it's just, it hinges on key moments. Like, we, we could have been 4-0 up mm-hmm. and yeah. we haven't taken those key moments and then it comes back to bite us on the arse. And, you know, that's... It hasn't. It wasn't the typical performance as we've seen necessarily, but it was just when when the game hinges on that key moment that we don't take or it doesn't go our way, um, and we we obviously paid the price in the second half with that that early goal that we conceded. Yeah, but how many times if we if we said and it's been said this season, and we might come we might circle back to to a little bit of this frustration later on, but in terms of that first half, how many times have we said this season that? We look so much better when we're on the front foot, when we're in the opposition's faces, when we're 30 yards up the pitch, you know, right on top of them. And that, that first half was all about doing that. It was about, you know, squeezing the space, you know, being right on top of them, being in their faces, Stuart, you know, kind of leading the charge um, and then everyone else following. And the, Lincoln didn't have a second on the ball. I mean, every time mm. the ball came at their feet, they were kind of jumping up because they knew someone was coming in with a tackle. But... You know, it's just that frustration. Where was that the rest of the season? You know, why, why did we back off so many times? It's It was interesting that we were so gung-ho, really. I mean, I'm just looking back at the at the start in 11 and you could argue we had one defender on the pitch in Billy Wright. <laughs> so McFadden's not a natural left-back then? Well, no, I don't think so. Um, He's not well, a natural footballer, is he? Well, to be fair, I mean, on that point, I mean, McFadden in that first half was... Very rarely in his own half, apart from the first five minutes where he actually did some good work defensively. Very rarely in his own half. It did actually, it really did feel like, I mean, I was, I was talking to my dad after, it was like a um, like a, a 19th century formation with with, uh, with, <laughs> with with two at the back and a, and a couple of kind of old school centre halves in the middle of the pitch, breaking everything up. And then the rest of the team attacking as one unit. Um, so it was like going back to kind of pre-WM formation football. But it was it was exciting. It was direct. We had two up front. We were creating. I mean, everyone's going to replay. I mean, I woke up on Sunday morning with the image of, of uh, Charlie White not squaring the ball uh, in the box, uh, flashing through my brain, uh, mixed in with my hangover. And, and that'll, <laughs> that will go down, I think, as a, a huge missed opportunity for Sunderland to progress, but I think overall in the season we can't really complain. Second half, it all fell apart, didn't it, Martin? I mean, it was just a bit. It was such a letdown, given the the high we were all it on at half time. And like you, you wonder what what caused it. Like I think they would have been hard pressed to keep up that that intensity mm. that we saw in the first half all the way through the game. But I don't for a minute think if we hadn't stopped for half time, we wouldn't have been going like that for the for the first 20 minutes, or the next 20 minutes I followed, rather. But mm. it seemed to me like it was immediately obvious, wasn't it? Like, as soon as that second half started, we dropped deeper. Yeah. And it was kind of like, has he told them just to try to, you know, Lincoln are going to come at you, just defend it, see the next 20 minutes out, get them on the counter and get the third. And to me, that seemed like the game plan. Whereas, you know, obviously they brought a couple of subs on and changed things about a little bit. But to my mind, we, we'd gone with such a, a great intent in that first half and it was it was like an intent that we haven't seen from a Lee Johnson side, but it's, it's been talked about. 
but we haven't actually seen it in a game until until now. And like you know, you you go why why did we see it there? Because we were two 0 down. It was kind of like he's got to go for it. I think if it'd been nil nil, we wouldn't have seen that type of of game. And hopefully he's learned something from that because the crowd responded well, the team yeah. went well, and you know, second half we we did drop. And I think he was hoping that we wouldn't concede for obviously keep a clean sheet for the next twenty minutes, catch him on the break and kill the game. And obviously we had a very uh, an early warning, didn't we, when when they hit the bar, and then the, the score straight away after, and that changes the complexion of the game completely. You hit the nail on the head there, Martin. <laughs> I actually sighed almost seconds after kickoff in the second half because Lincoln played the ball backwards. Stewart and Wyke almost charged them down straight away, mm. and immediately. There was a 30-yard gap between them and the midfield. The mm. midfield just didn't yeah. follow. And you saw straight away that you thought, hang on, this is this is different. This feels different. Lincoln had time on the ball. And straight away, that they started a mountain and attack where there was no pressure on the ball. The midfield didn't get out. The defence didn't get out. We almost said, and like you said, what happened at half-time? Was it, was it a, a conscious, you know, Lee Johnson said, right, lads, we've done the hard work. We're, we're back on terms. Let's go to our normal game plan and keep it tight first 10 minutes slow the game down, you know, frustrate them a little bit? Or was it, you know, lads keep going and the players didn't respond? Mm. Or was it simply that was it simply that Appleton changed his tactics and we couldn't respond to it? Something went wrong and it was one of those. But I just knew as soon as the, the midfield didn't follow White and Stewart, I thought this half's going to be a lot different. Everyone had dropped that 10, 20 metres further back, hadn't they? And, and it did invite the pressure on. And we were under pressure quite quickly weren't we it just there was a you're right there was an inevitability about the way that the half went um not that we didn't have our chances to actually you know get ourselves back into it after they scored McGeady hit the post and the ball came out to to um Charlie White who, who managed to to put it wide when it looked like it might have been easier to put it in it was a, a an angle it wasn't like six yards out was it but uh it should have gone in we huffed and puffed we uh, made some inexplicable substitutions at points, but um, ultimately it wasn't enough. None of us were, were in the ground. Uh, we were all watching on our various streams and, uh, and and TVs. It was great to see fans back in. And, and for me, I don't think we would have had that first half performance without 10,000 people sounding like 40,000 no, people. Right. I think there was a large element of that. And I think next season, maybe we can expect that level of intensity back in, in our game. Do you think that's that's going to be the case, Mark? I think it's, you know, again, Johnson's seen the crowd response to, to that type of approach. And, you know, you look back at all the successful Sunderland teams that we'll all remember watching, like the intensity on you know, some of the games and when Reid was the manager, Especially when, like the first season in the stadium, like the season that we got promoted to Roker Park, we went for it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily going for it in an attacking sense, but going for it in an off-the-ball pressing sense, hunting in packs and getting the ball. And like the crowd responds to it. It all, so our crowd always has responded to that type of, of approach. And hopefully, he's kind of seen that. And you know, it it's been to- again, it's been talked about that he he likes to play that sort of high intensity pressing football and you know he hasn't been managing a squad that was built to play that way this season yeah. you know the players were able to do it for 45 minutes on on Saturday but you know that that midfield that squad that we have isn't built to, to do that so there's going to be a huge task ahead of him to build a side that's capable of doing that if, if that's what he wants to do and I, like you know as a, as a spectator as a fan watching the game I hope he does do that because it's 
it's that type of football that you enjoy watching, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, maybe that was part of what we talked about earlier on as well. I mean, in terms of uh, the you know that pressing game that he's of, if he's played it at previous sides and he's wanted to play it with us but hasn't, and and then he seemed to deploy it when we were absolutely desperate two 0 down. We did it for forty five minutes, but from the evidence we saw at half time. It doesn't look like he trusted that side to do it for ninety minutes, like you said, with Ledbetter um, in the middle. Maybe he, he maybe thought Ledbetter couldn't keep that up, or Lincoln were going to pick us apart or come up with a different game plan. He maybe wanted to see what they were doing first. So I don't think he trusted um, the side that he he had with us this season to go out, you know, game after game with that kind of pressing right up the field. So. He's going to need a different squad, I think, if he wants to deploy those tactics. He is. Well, he is, but it's going to be interesting what he does, isn't it? Because like, I think Nick Barnes was saying in, in the pod that you did with him, Chris, he, he thinks Johnson's quite a risk-averse manager. Mm. And, you know, that's not that's not what we need, really. We need him to be ballsy. We need him to, to go for it and need him to have... You know, he, he's got a bit of arrogance and confidence in how he comes about or comes across, but we're not necessarily seeing that on the on the field. And, you know, the best will in the world, you kind of go, okay, hopefully that's because he's got a squad that Phil Parkinson built to play defensive football, get out the wings and lump crosses in. And hopefully that's the case. That he's, he hasn't trusted the squad enough to do what he wants to do. But, you know, his hand was forced on Saturday because we were 2-0 down. He had to go for it with the crowd back in. And as you say, at half time he kind of reverted back to what we'd been doing for, for a lot of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see how he... You know how 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 they. I'm not, it's obviously not just Lee Johnson, is it? It's Christian Speakman and and other people involved in building that that model of what they want the squad and each individual player or each individual position to to deliver. Because it's going to be a comp- hopefully it's going to be a completely different setup to what we've seen this season. Yeah, well, t- talking about being risk averse. I mean, I thought it was quite interesting because throughout the good run, our kind of main weapon, if you like, to to go on that good run was the McGeady White partnership Mm. when that started almost kind of being a hindrance to us because we became so one-dimensional I think you know the opposition managers knew what they were up against you know and kind of I talked to uh, Nick Barnes about this about opposition managers doubling up out wide and making sure they had two lumps on on Charlie Wyke and then basically you've nullified what Sunderland have got to offer and maybe talking about taking a risk during that bad run we Instead of trying to find a new way of attacking, or you know, putting some trying someone else up front, I know Ross Stewart was injured, but I think you mentioned at one point Martin having Gooch as a false nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, just trying something else, and throughout all that bad run, he just kept persevering with it because that was the only option he he saw that we had. So it was kind of right. Well, let's try harder at, at the same tactic. I mean, talking of trying hard. One thing I'd like to say about this squad that we've had, you know, a core of it for the past three years um, that have been built around, I guess, a spine of, of a team. One thing you can't say that they've done is not give their all. I think there's been quite a lot of vitriol flying around. Obviously, I wrote about it earlier this week about some of the online behaviour, about some of the out, outside the ground where people haranguing Charlie White and people haranguing Lee Johnson. We saw recently with the after the reaction to the the kind of the retained list coming out, some absolute vile stuff coming out, being put online about some of the the lads who've you know, particularly like Max Power, who's given his absolute all for for three years. Do you agree that you know that people are right in condemning that behaviour? Because 
I mean, uh, it's an embarrassment as far as I, as far as I'm concerned. Some of the way that some people have gone on. Uh, obviously, we've seen the 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 amazing upside of having fans back in the ground, and you know the the support, the unflinching support that 99 percent of the the fan base give. But God, that one percent embarrasses us, doesn't it? Oh, it's it's horrendous, like isn't it? It's it's disgraceful, and it, it doesn't do anything. Anybody any good doesn't do the club any good. Doesn't do any, other fans any good. Doesn't do the players any good. It's just pathetic. And I, I understand people would be angry and upset and frustrated, but it's just completely not the way to actually get that off your chest. Like it's just crap. Yeah, no, no brainer for me. I mean, I mean, you're talking. I mean, yes, God, I mean, all of us. Are th- you can probably tell by the tone of our voices. All three of us are talking about what happened in that game and the season in general, and we're all frustrated. Mm-hmm. We're all, you know, we're all absolutely, you know, we're frustrated. <laughs> you know where the club is and all this sort of stuff. But if you strip that emotion out of it and just say, well, look, you know, look at the squad that we've got. We finished fourth in the league, and I think. I mean, Nick Barnes actually said it, you know, talking about, you know, before that game, at the start of the season, he predicted us to finish fourth. Mm. So, you know, the, the squad have finished there or thereabouts of where we probably expected that squad to finish. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like we expected that squad to finish in the top three, top four, uh, and, and we finished eighth or ninth. You know, we didn't finish mid-table. We weren't completely off par from where we expected. So, it was it was a bad par for that for that squad, and they battled in games. They got us points in some places where we shouldn't maybe have got points based on the game. They dropped points, you know, unfortunately in some places where it was maybe against the run of play and the opposition got a you know a bit of luck or whatever. That's how what happens in the league season, and we finished fourth, which is mm. you know that 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 squad was about you know in the top four in the league, and sometimes it's just down to luck, you know, whether in what order you finish in, and um and, and when you go on those runs and getting the spirit in the team and, uh, you know, talking about taking your frustration out the way that a handful did, in my mind, is is pretty disgraceful, to be honest. I mean, you know, if you're not happy, there's ways to kind of vent it and say you're not happy, but not like that. No, absolutely not. And I'm, I'm concerned that, you know, people were confronting Charlie White and following him into his car. And this lad's been, he's, he's, he's out of contract in the summer, but he's been, he's been offered a new contract. Do you, see that affecting his decision as to whether he stays at the club, whether he tries to find a, a club in, in the championship or or what, Martin? What what are your views on, well, whether you want Charlie White to stay and whether you think that kind of, that behaviour will influence his decision? Uh, look, there's, there's a few things to unpick there. So, look, I think in terms of will the behaviour of the fans affect his decision to, to stay or to go, not at all. I think everyone will accept that's a heat-of-the-moment thing. It's not reflective you can put down frustration you know as we, we've all condemned it but you can mm. you can understand the frustration not how it manifests itself so i don't think that's going to play a, a big role in whether or not he, he accepts a contract he'll go he'll go somewhere else there's absolutely no doubt in my mind he'll go somewhere else he, he's going to have championship offers on the table they're going to be offering him more money than, than we'll be able to offer him and he'll he'll be i'd be really surprised if he if he stays whether i want him to stay or not this is going to sound ridiculous given the lad scored 31 goals, but I'm, I'm not against him going out. I won't bat an eyelid if he, if he goes, to be honest. And I think, you know, this comes back to Chris's point um, earlier about, you know, the, the squad that we've got at the minute, or had, before the retained list came out. <laughs> it's primarily made up of players who've played the vast majority of the career at the third tier level, who are 
quite experienced in terms of their their age. They're not going to go anywhere higher. They're not going to be a, like Charlie Wags. <laughs> replay this back in in twelve months' time when he scored the winner in the playoff final for for, for Forest or <laughs> Middlesbrough or something and got got them up with scoring forty goals. But you know, he's he, he's not somebody who's going to get better in in my mind. I think he's probably had the best season of his career. Um, and you know, give him credit. 31 goals in the season. None of them penalties or free kicks. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a fantastically good return. But he, you know, I, on on one level, I don't enjoy watching him play. On another level, I think he severely limits how we play. And I think what we need to do now, and hopefully, the, you know, with the recruitment setup that we've got and the the positions and attributes that we need have been identified, I want us to build a side that when we get promoted. We need to change two or three people, and that size can grow with us mm. and go because we've suffered for the last ten years for, from that real short termism view, probably longer, where we, we're having a major overhaul pretty much every bloody preseason, signing eight, nine, ten players, and it it doesn't work. We need to build something that you know. Obviously, we need a few players who will come in and add some experience, and that's that's great. But you know, I'd rather have those experienced players stepping down a, a level rather than players who've applied the career for the last five or six years in in the third division because it, it doesn't work we're expecting them to step up a level when all they've done is played that level previously so that's a, that's a long way around to saying i'm not bothered if charlie white goes or, <laughs> goes or stays i think look if he wants to stay great option to have off the bench mm-hmm. but yeah, i wouldn't I mean, be starting them i mean that combination white and mcgeady is something obviously the club want to see retained in one we are another because of the four players who've been offered new deals at the end of their deals. Um, Wyke and Megidia are there with Unnine and Hume. Sorry, Rich, I think it's probably more for resale value. Like, get Charlie Wyke on the contract, somebody comes in on deadline day with 500 grand, mm. you know, a championship club will get desperate. Yeah, there's that, there's that. And I mean, and all, well, three of those four you could see being targets for championship clubs. Denver Hume, Luke Nine, Charlie White have all shown themselves adept at, at this level. Um, although, obviously, Luke Nine's been playing out of position. Denver Hume's been injured for for most of the season and Charlie White is clearly is clearly limited. Uh, Chris, moving on to the the, the retained list itself, um, what, what are your general thoughts on it? I mean, obviously, we've seen... Two captains, the club captain, Grant Ledbetter. There are rumours this morning that he's been offered a, a coaching role, but he's not been offered a playing contract. And, and obviously Max Power um, has, has been let go as well, along with uh, Josh Scowen, um, McFadzing, uh, Chris McGuire and, um, and Remy Matthews, who I, I sometimes forget plays for us. <laughs> so, so what... What are your thoughts on on that retained list? Uh, were you happy to see those players released? Uh, it was interesting, wasn't it? I, I wasn't completely sure. You know, after we after it was confirmed that we were still in the third tier, um, if we'd keep keep those players on. And um, in some ways, and obviously, you know, it's hard to tell now. You can't say whether it's good, bad, or whatever. Right now, but the the one thing I will say at the minute, it's it's brave and it shows mm. intent. Because if you're going to release all of those players, then you know you've got intent to replace them well. Because you're releasing so many of them, it's not that we're replacing one or two of them and saying, well, you know, if we bring in one or two, 
you know, good players, then then we know we've got a good squad next season. We've really, you know, we've released a lot of players who've played a big part this season. Mm-hmm. You know, Max Power was pretty much one of the first names on the team sheet for, for Lee Johnson, whether that was right or wrong. A lot of people, you know, said he might have been brought out at certain points, but he was always in there, whether full-back or centre midfield. He seemed to be Lee Johnson's favourite. So, I mean, whether that's a, a, a Christian Speakman thing, saying, look, you know, he's not the type of player we need, regardless of whether you relied on him, to, to you know, whether it's a conversation with the, the head coach, we want people with different attributes in the middle. You know, we want someone to be quicker, stronger, who can get at players a bit more, you know, get a, across the field a bit quicker. Um, same with Josh Gowan. That's a, that's a brave mm-hmm. one because um, he had his he had his good days, he had his off days. Um, I think he splits opinion, but he's another one who, at that level, he's not a bad player. And I think at half the time he was played in a in a role that's probably not not his game this season. So it was an interesting one, but for me, it's it's brave. It shows it shows intent. It shows for me that they are wanting to bring players in because to re- release that many of players who've really been part of the side, it's a good sign. Um, just quickly, I wanted to talk about the offered a new contract. I completely agree with everything Martin said on Charlie White. By the way, I don't I don't want to go back into that, but um, I've said it before this season, so I'm not going to go in on uh, Charlie White again. But the, the interesting one is um, Denver Hume for me. When he came back, he showed that um, he showed his class. He showed how good he is at this level. I think he's a cracking player, and you know he made such a difference on that left hand side as soon as he came back. But if you look over, you know, since he got into the first team, he he has had a lot of injuries. Mm. You know, and I think he's had one or two hamstring injuries, uh, which he went off with in that first le- early in that first leg. It was a hamstring injury, and you know, it'd be interesting. I mean. Obviously, I'm no expert, but if you had the medical team assess him, you know, if we get a bid, you know, a cheeky bid from a championship club saying, oh, he's young, he's fast and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, you know that, you know, there's a high chance of him breaking down again because he spent most of this season on the treatment table. You know, you you might consider a, a bid of half a million, a million or whatever. You might say, actually, you know, if he's going to spend that long on the treatment table, is it worth taking the cash? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping he's had his, his share of injuries now. I know it doesn't always work like that. But um, sometimes players, you know, they, especially as their bodies are developing, that's when they pick up a lot of these injuries, and 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 hopefully he'll be accepting that contract. And I and I hope he sticks with us, and 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 we can we can really utilize those talents. And um, the the other player that I forgot to mention was released was was Conor McLaughlin. Um, it does leave us with no right backs at the club. Like <laughs> we literally don't have a right back, and because I'm not I'm not doing what I think I saw. One of the newspapers do on Twitter earlier and and call Luke O'Nine a, a, a right back because he's not the lad. To, if he does sign a contract, needs to be given an opportunity to play in a, in a natural position. Because when we when we've seen him play there, we know that he's he's good. He's energetic. He, he distributes the ball well. But you know, beyond that, looking at the the players who have been retained. One of the questions I think a lot of fans are saying is, you know, we've we've kept obviously because they've got contracts, we've kept George Dobson and and Will Grigg, who have been out on loan this uh, season, and 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 doing all right at their respective versions of Wimbledon Football Club, one being the proper Wimbledon Football Club and one not. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see any way back for those two very experienced now League One footballers? Martin, is is, or is it literally just a case that these will be like the people that we're looking for nominal fees to get off the wage book, so that we can bring in 
uh, someone who's really um, fits within the philosophy of, of Speakman and, and uh, Johnson? Well, I, I would immediately say Grigg, certainly not. Um, I think you know he's he's had more than enough chances. It's just it's just not going to work hmm. here. And I would just take a, a fee and get him off the off the wage bill if it's possible. Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest challenge to actually find somebody who can take him off off the wage bill. With Dobson, I'll pro- probably get hammered for it. <laughs> but like, I actually think there's potentially a player in there. He's still young. He's exper- He's got a number of games at, at that level under his belt. He's got a good pedigree at Arsenal and West Ham. And, you know, there's a potential that, you know, they're looking at, again, those attributes that they need in, in those positions. And think, you know what, there's a player who we can work with there. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Dobson given a chance um, next season. You know, you, you look at Power and Scowen being um, released, as, as you said. And, you know, we've obviously got people like Dan Neal and Embleton and Hawks potentially come into that midfield um, selection. So, you know, there's no surprise to me that Power and Scowen were, were released. But if, if Dobson was here in pre-season, given a chance, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Do you think it's it's fair, Chris, for Johnson to start pre-season after, you know, after we all come back, after we've all had a bit of fun with the European uh, Championships? Do you think there's a chance that everyone will start with a blank slate and that someone like Dobson will be able to work his way back into, into his plans? Oh, ab- absolutely. Because I think uh, just like Parkinson did last summer, um, when he set us up in a way and he worked, you could, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't the best tactics in the world, but you could tell that Parkinson had worked all summer to to drill them into the way he wanted to play. And I think Lee Johnson will be exactly the same. So um, everyone will will start with that blank slate because he'll be starting with a, a new way of playing. So, mm-hmm. and, and actually just on George Dobson, I mean, he's a prime example because Parkinson, he was Parkinson's number one choice in the, in the kind of holding role in midfield when we started last season. I think he got, didn't he get sent off early on in the second game or something or the first game? I can't remember now, but he got sent first off game. early on and then, and then he kind of lost his place, but he was forced to play that holding role. And I don't think that was George Dobson's game. He he kind of, he was more, well, in my mind, he's kind of slightly more box to box than kind of standing in front of the back four. He's a bit more dynamic than that. And he was kind of told to, to, to stand there and don't move, which I don't think was his yeah. game. So, uh, I think Lee Johnson will look, try and look at what he's good at and play him accordingly. And, uh, uh, you know, as far as uh, Will Grigg is concerned, whether or not we can get him going on the pitch, I don't think it really matters. I just don't think he wants to be at the club. No. Um, and I think that's the main thing. And to be honest, a likely scenario is that we might come to an agreement with him, just rip up his contract. Because I just I think he doesn't want to be at the club so much that if we just want him off the books, we could just come to agreement and say, look, if you want to, you know, you're not, Ain't going to be in the first team, uh. If you you know whether you want to stay and kind of you know be on the bench and play be a bit part player or rip up your contract and, and go somewhere else. I think that's kind of a likely scenario. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it'll it'll be interesting because uh, I, I think with the new ownership and the new recruitment team, we'll be able to tell how competent they are in terms of how quickly they get business done. Because yeah. if we come to two or three weeks before the end of the season. And we're signing the Danny Grahams of the world because we're desperate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then we know we're, we we know we're in the same boat. I think it'll be really really interesting actually to see, yeah, like you say, how quickly the recruitment's done, and then what kind of pre-season is put in place because that was a major criticism of of something last season. We see when I was um, having a look at Lincoln before um, before the first leg, I looked at their prep 
their preseason prep. They got off to a great start in League One last year, and they did had a more extensive and probably a more challenging preseason than we did. What playing Gateshead, I think, and and Carlisle, um, I think they they had a much more kind of structured and and challenging preseason. Do you th- expect Martin that we'll have a a, a really rigorous kind of scheduled preseason two? Obviously, we've got probably. Portugal's only the country, the only country they can probably go to at the minute, um, and we'll see what happens with coronavirus. But um, are you expecting a, a much more um, planned and kind of purposeful preparation? Well, I bloody hope so because we were sat, everybody sat at home on furlough when all the other mm. League One clubs were, were having preseason friendlies last summer, weren't they? So it's mm-hmm. you know it's, it's got to be. I think you know. Speakman and Johnson have been here for, for long enough now to have those plans in, in place, regardless of the outcome of, of the playoffs. We obviously lost a, a couple of weeks of, of preparation by, by being in the playoffs and extending the season. But, you know, Johnson's going to have his plans. And it's almost like the um, this is a point that Johnson will have been waiting for. Get this season over and done with, hopefully with a, a more positive outcome than, than he's had. But he, I'm, I'm sure he, after a few days of, of rest, he'll be really... You know, chomping at the bit to get on with not only recruitment but coaching and getting them onto the the, the training ground in pre season to implement his his real plan, um, or whatever he, his vision for, for the club will be. And um, it's it's I think it's going to be you expect it to be good, thorough, well planned, and you know the the complete stark contrast to what we we had last season. Mm. Uh, but what you've just said there, Martin, that means Johnson's got to get on and do the work. With uh, with how he wants to play and get that drilled into them, but that means it's even more important that he gets those players quickly. Because like I said, early, if, he, yeah. if if he, if all the recruitment's done in the final three weeks, then he's kind of scrambling to to kind of work with those players and see how they fit in. And that's the thing. I I think if there's one or two players brought in late, that's fine as long as you've got the the core of the team well drilled in, in what you're doing. You're always going to be bringing one or two players in every now and again, but he's got to get that nucleus. Sorted out. He's got got to get the the, the contract um, renewals sorted out pretty smartly. What we don't want is you know McGeady, Wyke, O Nine turning down contracts or, or leaving them on the table. And a month progresses, six weeks progresses, and they're looking at, at what's going on. Hopefully, there's a it's not necessarily a Josh Madger like deadline, but a deadline in place for them to to tell us what they're doing. Hmm. And like O Nine is going to be critical to that, isn't he? Because if he's going to resign for us, I would imagine he's wanting assurances where he's going to play because the lad's been shunted left, right, literally left, right, and centre. If I was him, I'd be thinking, you know what, my my career's probably a step back from where it would have been if I'd stayed at Wickham in terms of you know playing, progressing in his position. So he's going to want assurances from Johnson that he's going to be starting in midfield, or else he ain't going to sign a contract. So, like we, all that stuff's got to get sorted out quickly, as well as bringing players in. Those renewals have got to be done. But you're right, like that recruitment's got to be bang on, and it's got to be done over the next four weeks, five weeks. Can you, uh, can you see Luke Onine being offered the captaincy? Yeah. Looking at the options, Bailey Wright. Don't know. Lyndon Gooch. But will he play? Mm. Yeah. I mean, we're struggling for options, aren't we? Well, we'll see who we bring in over the summer. Um. Let's deal with really quickly. I mean, obviously, we we're all talking in the assumption that that we are not going to have a change in head coach. Uh, there's been rumours swirling round that are pretty much unsubstantiated, as far as we understand. 
that Speakman will be looking at um, whether to replace Lee Johnson. Is is there any case for changing manager now? Either of you jump in on this? Oh, look, I think if like the, the only reason that th- there would be some change is that behind the scenes, Speakman's saw something that he thinks, you know what, this fellow isn't the long-term choice. My point of view, I think like Lee Johnson was never my first choice as manager. I wasn't over-enthusiastic about his appointment. I think, you know, some of the things he brought to the table initially were were great because of the polar opposite of, of Phil Parkinson. He, he, you know, he talked a good game. He was enthusiastic. He he made tactical changes. He made early subs, which hmm. which Parkinson never did. But obviously, we've we've got you know the the, the context of six months now, pretty much of, of seeing him in action. And I think you know, on a on a football sense, the the jury's still out. You know, we've seen some good stuff. We've seen some not so good stuff. But the the caveat to all of that is he's been managing a squad that he didn't build and was was built to play a different style of football from what he wants to do. Um, and, you know, we've spent the last 10, 12 years changing manager at the first hint of trouble, and it's got us into some pretty deep, murky shit. So I, I'd, I'd be keeping them purely, you know, one, for consistency, and two, because he's, he's part of something bigger football-wise. He's, you know, the most public visible face of this new football vision, but he's not the only part of it. And you know, Speakman's got a hugely important part to play. So I um I'd be really surprised if we change anything. Um and you know, hopefully we, we go off to a great start because the the hangover from the last couple of months will resurface pretty quickly if we don't get off to a, a good start. Yeah, I mean very quickly, because I think you said it all there, Martin. Completely agree. I think uh as he said, the jury's still out. I think he, he's done some good things, he's done some baffling things that people can't quite get their head around. But yeah, he you know, with the backdrop of the issues this season, um he signed up to a long term plan and I think we're, we're <laughs> for the, for six months or what even less than that, for what, four months, I think the the backroom staff, the recruitment team, Speakman, all they've been doing is planning. And I think now in the summer that that it was always, if you remember the interviews at the beginning, it was always, you know, let's do as well as we can this season, but let's put the plan into place and implement it for next season and and moving forward. Uh, With all the issues he's had and everything, all the backdrop of the season, he deserves a crack at the long-term plan that he signed up to. But as Martin said, what we need to see is signs on the pitch that we're moving in the right direction. If that doesn't happen in the first half of next season, that we've bought players with the attributes that to play in Lee Johnson's style or to play in the way that the club want to moving forward, um, and we see a change, then you know there are going to be grumblings coming up to coming up to Christmas. Mm. But yeah, so we we need to see change. I think in the first half of next season and uh, assess it after what ten fifteen games and and see where we are. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm relatively optimistic that this time round it, it will work, that that pre-season will be productive, that will bring in the right players. I think because there's a direction at the club and there's a direction at the club in the, in a way that there hasn't been for at least a decade. So I, I expect, I really do expect, not just hope, that that will pay off and that we'll, we'll see a very different Sunderland next season. And yeah, I don't think there's any chance Lee Johnson's going anywhere. He was down in London watching the under-23s with Speakman and, and Louis Dreyfus uh, a couple of days ago. I don't think you do that when you're getting rid of your manager. You don't go and travel in a bubble. 
and and go and watch the youngsters have a have a fantastic go at um, promotion and, and only just miss out on penalties, which I think uh, also give fans a bit of cause for optimism this week. So um, thank you all for listening uh, this season. We've got loads of pre-season stuff planned. Chris is talking about doing top tens and stuff like that. And we're, uh, Martin, Chris and I, we've all got a, a project that's uh, in the can and being produced. And hopefully we'll, that'll see the light of day uh, over the summer as well. It's been wonderful uh, speaking to you both today. And thank you all for listening to Rook Report this season. And yeah, away the lads and uh, keep the faith, everyone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.